All right, well, we are going to uh, have another look at another parable, and it's all in an alignment to the parables we've looked at already. What's the first parable we looked at about four weeks ago? Who can tell me? The parable of the... Say it again. Virgins. And I love what Sam said in his message where he said, you know, the world, it's about losing your virginity, but in God, it's about gaining your virginity. And obviously, Paul said that I want to make you as a pure virgin, one that has never been with the world. We're talking spiritually because we've all been of the world. We've all been tainted. None of us start as virgins spiritually. And so God wants to make us back into who we were before the foundations of the earth, pure, spotless, and blameless. And he does that through his power. He doesn't do that through the understanding of words. He doesn't do that through the mental grasping of the scriptures. He does that by revealing the Son in us and continuing to reveal the Son in us. Who can tell me what the main point was because it's a parable and a parable is a story that speaks to one main point. Who can tell me what the main point of the parable of the virgins is? Good. Be Ready. Ready for what? Yeah, but what else? Ready for Jesus coming back. But what's Jesus coming back for? All right, which is tied to a marriage covenant, which is going to be where? In the kingdom of heaven back on earth. It's pretty cool. All right, second parable was the parable of the... Talents. All right. How many of us think we're talented here? (laughs) Saw a bit of talent yesterday. Parable of the talents. Now, what was the main point of the parable of the talent? Good. Faithfulness. To who? Faithfulness to Christ by what? By faith, absolutely, and because we're going to live for who? Christ no longer live for us. No longer about Greg Simnor and what Greg Simnor wants with his life. Greg Simnor died to that life and was born again to a brand new life and left that life behind. So God is looking for people who are ready, and ready means what? Ready How are we going to be ready? Ready to love him with all our heart, soul, mind and strength and love one another and not love others more than. So what it means to be ready is to be able to love God with all you are and love human beings like God loves them and live for him no longer you. Because you're no longer interested in your life, you're only interested in doing His will. You've left the life you were born with naturally, turned and walked into and received the fullness and are receiving the fullness of the life He has for you. It's no longer about you. I dies. He lives in. 
So the third parable we're going to look at is the parable of the wedding feast. Now, who knows what the main point of the wedding feast is? No, celebrate, good answer, no, no, it's all about the bride. Keep singing, it's good. No, well, sort of, but not quite. Hey? Uh, it is about what you're wearing. It will be rewarded. No. Like none of these answers are wrong, but they're just not the answer. <laughs> I wind the staff up with this. Oh, you want this one particular answer? That's right, because it's one truth. And the scripture says what it's about. So the scripture tells you. Begins with W. No. So we play hangman. <laughs> so he's getting hung this morning, crucified with Christ. I know long I live. We got a W. Worthy. Okay, well done, Danny Langstrap. <laughs> Worthy. Are you worthy? Are you ready? Are you faithful? Are you worthy? Matthew ten thirty seven. Jesus says what? The kids just got taught the scriptures are going to lead and guide them, eh? We're going to talk to the kids this morning. The scriptures are going to lead and guide us into the fullness of Christ. So Matthew ten thirty seven to thirty eight and thirty nine talks about the relational test and the missional test, who you love, who you live for. And Jesus said, if you love your life, your son, your mother, your brother, your daughter, pretty much any other human being, you are not worthy of who? Christ. So we really need to know what this means, isn't it? Because his blood has made us worthy, so we're not talking about that. We need to know what Jesus says when he says it. We need to have his version of what he says, not our version of it, correct? Otherwise, that's just a false version of God, isn't it? And we can create our own version of God because it satisfies us as God because sometimes we don't necessarily like his version because his version confronts our version. And so these parables, which are stories, illustrations, that all talk about the kingdom of heaven, and we need to know what this is. I'm going to say it again. I'm not talking about heaven. I'm not talking about the place heaven. I'm talking about kingdom of heaven back on earth. A thousand-year reign where Christ is going to establish his literal kingdom, his governmental rulership on this earth for a thousand years where Satan is bound and he's looking for a people who are going to reign with him in that thousand years. And these people need to be found ready, they need to be found faithful, and they need to be found worthy if they are going to fulfill what God has for them. It is not everybody, but the invitation is for everybody. So our choices and our priorities determine whether we will be found ready, faithful, and worthy, correct? Because there were 10 virgins, correct? 
And how many were found to be wise? Five. There were three servants, and how many were found to be faithful? Now we're going to look at how many of us are worthy of the calling and live a life worthy of that calling, all defined by him. Which is a very narrow way, but one that we are to walk in and through because he is the narrow gate and the way of God is narrow. But once discovered, it's very wide. And the freedom in it is incredible because you're held in the responsibility of knowing him. So with your freedom, you don't abuse it. You live for him from it. Because you are being made ready. You're not the foolish one. You're the wise one. You're discovering what it is to truly be in a relationship, true fellowship with the Christ. And your life is starting to reflect it through a demonstration. You actually find yourself being able to love like heaven to the measure that heaven is in you. Like I'm talking about a love that's patient with behavior that's not that lovable. I'm talking about a love that holds no account of wrong. It's not jealous. It endures all things. It bears all things. It's able to stand and love on people that are not necessarily lovely at a particular given time when their behavior starts manifesting their flesh and their fears and their insecurities and their jealousies and their selfish ambition. And you're able to be like Christ and love them unconditionally because you are becoming a wise virgin who knows what it is to be in fellowship with the Father and the Son. Not because you're smart, because you surrendered, lost your life, and allowed God to be the builder of you. That's truly eternal, isn't it? That is not of earth. And Jesus Christ offers us eternal life every day. And he says, how much do you want eternal life versus your earthly life? You choose. I stand right in front of you, and I offer it continuously until I return. Don't be a five of the foolish that just live for themselves and then it was too late, went, oh, give me some of your oil. And they said, I can't give you my revelation. You didn't seek, ask, and knock for yourself. You weren't someone that was earnestly seeking the Lord. You were living for you. Don't be like the one who buried the talent. Don't bury what God has given you. Discover what it is and serve him with it, not you. Play your part in his body and play it well. Because without it, it's a very dysfunctional body. We actually have to relearn so many things because we've taught ourselves so many things that actually aren't necessarily of him. And then we're going to look at this one today of being worthy Actually having the appropriate garments on in the appropriate environments. And not being found naked without the appropriate garment on. Because there are two garments, Scripture talks about, that we need to have on. What's the first garment? The garment of righteousness. Can you make yourself right? No. So the garment of righteousness brings you to a justified position, doesn't it? Do you know what that means? Just as if you have never sinned, 
You are brought back into perfection. His blood has washed you pure. The perfect one. The perfect one has perfected you. But then you need to become perfect like your heavenly father's perfect. Well, is it one or the other? It's both. You see, you're saved, being saved, will be saved. It's not just you're saved and that's it. It's you're saved, you are made righteous, the righteousness, his blood, Calvary, poured out for you, nothing you've done, not on your works, on everything he did, you are right now. We need to enter into the process of sanctification, which is the internal transformation of your heart and your mind so you no longer live from you, our flesh, our soul, mind, and emotions. They are all being transformed and renewed through the power of Jesus Christ in you. And that is the forming, the maturing work. This is where you will be found ready, faithful, and worthy at the day of his return because your life will be the demonstration and he will know you have lived in him and for him and with him and done his will. So when you stand in front of him, he will reward you. But we're going to look at a man that was found and he wasn't worthy. But he was justified. And we have to grab and wrestle with these realities. And we have to know the entirety of the context, not even just look at a passage and then try and figure that one passage out. We have to have that passage in an alignment to the passages and see the big picture. The big picture. We've been looking at the big picture, haven't we? And everything in that manual that you've got in front of you is speaking this reality. But it is concealed, waiting to be revealed. It is just words on a page the Holy Spirit wants to take and lift off the page spiritually that you would see them in the Spirit and go, Oh my goodness, this is what I'm called for? Yes, see your life and embrace Him. <clears throat> Have you seen it? Are you seeing it? Are you aware of what he is saying to you? Or is it just another message? Like your weeks, how do your weeks look? The same? Are they just like Groundhog Week? Same, same. Like, are you any more in him than you were six months ago? Do you have any more life in you that you know is not you and that you're living from? <clears throat> Are we just doing the same thing going through the motions? It's called forms of godliness, guys. It's profitable for nothing. You see, the challenge is we can do all this physical activity but not be in Christ. You can actually think you're living for him and it'll all be about selfish ambition. You can go around try to win the world and develop your ministry and it can all be for nothing. If it is not in Christ, rooted in Christ, coming from Christ, it is not of Christ, it's just nothing. Isn't that 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that? Yes? 
We've said this all the time, haven't we? Trying to awaken us to it's not just about any work, it's about eternal works that come from an unseen place. So I must be in fellowship with the Lord to know the works that are eternal, that are hidden. Just like he is hidden and his life is hidden and I am hidden, then the works are all hidden because he's not interested in any works because anybody can do that and take the glory for any works. He's only interested in righteous acts of the saints because they come from the righteous one. Anything that's not from God is demonic. It's of the flesh. And God is not flesh, God is spirit. And the simplicity of what I've said is found in the spirit. So I'm going to read four passages Like I've been doing, we're going to come back to Matthew 22, and I'm going to unpack mainly that passage for us. There are incredible promises in God, and God comes into our present and says, if you want the fulfillment of what I say, then I must come and build you in your present, and I'm going to deal with some things in your present that are holding you from the promise. And you cannot get away from this because it It's for every single human being. No one gets a special card. Everyone goes through Christ, Christ crucified, which is the way to eternal life now, not when I get there. And that's another mindset that has robbed Christians for years, waiting for heaven and living and surviving on earth. Jesus did not survive on earth. He overcame earth. The early church were not surviving earth. They thrived in the spirit on earth. Right, Matthew 22, 1 to 14. You ready? Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come. Again, he sent out other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat and livestock are all butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went their way. One to his own farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. But the king was enraged, and he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. Then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Verse 9, go therefore to the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good. And the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man who was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, throw him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called but few are chosen. Revelation 2, 2 to 5. I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. And you found them to be false. 
And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love, not lost, as so often is taught, left. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen. Who's he talking to here? The church of Ephesus, yeah? And repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you and remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Hebrews 13, 14. All these are interconnected, these passages, okay? For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. For here. Where is he talking about? When he says, for here, we do not have a lasting city. Earth. So on earth, we do not have a lasting city. Why would you be building your life on earth and living for earth when it's all going to perish? So he's telling you, we don't have this lasting city here on earth. We're not living for earth. We're living for the eternal. We're living for the future, which is actually now. Because we realize earth is falling away. Because that's also been spoken, isn't it? So we know, we have knowledge. So why would you want to anchor yourself to something that's actually ultimately perishing? That doesn't make any sense, does it? That would be a wise, sorry, a foolish virgin, wouldn't it? For here we do not have a lasting, but we are seeking the city which is to come. Where's the city? But it's in the eternal, isn't it? And what's the eternal? No. The eternal is the unseen realm, isn't it? In the spirit. So everything that exists in God is in the unseen. That's why when Jesus turned up and you could see him, they didn't know who he was because he spoke. They killed their Messiah because they couldn't see him as Messiah. Well, we're no different. You need eyes to see what's behind that wall. Who can tell me what's behind that wall right now? (laughs) Another building, an empty room. You see, what the unseen seen, the seen seen, says, let me tell you what's behind that wall, because I live behind that wall, and I've just come into your realm, but I really live in the unseen realm. So I'm going to come from the unseen into the seen, and I'm going to declare everything that's eternal into the temporal. And then I'm going to go back into where I live. But I actually live on both parts, but what's in me is eternal from the unseen, even though I'm in an earthly body. Like this was Jesus. This is to be you the, you and I, the church. Because he says we don't live by what? Which is natural sight. So we are not to be living from what we look at in the natural. We are to be living from what we see in the unseen. This is why prophecy gets so messed up. Because we're to prophesy from the unseen, not what we look at in the seen. All of a sudden you start making things up because of what you're looking at. Oh, this is this and this is this and this is this and this is this and this is this. And it might be none of it. Has what you're saying come from the unseen or are you trying to join dots because you're looking in the scene going, well, that must be that? Not necessarily. It has to come from the unseen because the whole thing is already prophetic and prophesied. We've really messed this up, guys. Really messed it up. And so it says to me in 2 Corinthians 4.18 that those who are of Christ live and see from the unseen because the unseen is eternal and the seen is temporal. You see, if you're going to live from the seen realm, you will be a foolish virgin. 
You will bury your talent and you won't be worthy because you don't know what you're worthy of. You've got no idea the life you're supposed to be living on the seen realm because you're living it from there, not here, making it up. What you think it is because you read a book. It messes us up and it really messes up your truth and the God you think you know, but can you demonstrate God? Because that's the standard, your ability to release the manifold wisdom of God, which is Jesus himself, in you and through you. That's the evidence of abiding in Christ, not running around doing works for Christ. Now you will go around and do works, but is that the life in you called eternal life, which was the offer that the woman at the well was having And we don't know whether she actually went and got her husband the thing that was actually blocking the eternal life. The idol in her life. Because she was still the God of her life because she had not lost her life. And so she's got no idea of the city to come. Is it written in here? What I'm talking about. Does does God want us to know everything in here? So if we don't currently yet know, that's okay, correct? But are you seeking it? That would be the issue, wouldn't it? If we claim to love God, if we claim to be disciples of God, but we're really not interested in what we don't know, are we really? Like, really? Are we fooling ourselves? I said we are, yeah? If you tell me you love something, then I'll know, I'll find you in it, correct? If you bring this just into the natural, okay? I grew up, as some of you know, as a mad Liverpoolian and a mad Liverpool fan. You would find me, my dad, and my brothers every Sunday morning, 9 o'clock, big league soccer, in Napier, in 1970-something, with the... Blinds drawn, having breakfast, glued to the tally for one hour because you only got about 10 minutes of your team back then. You would have found us there every single Sunday morning. Now, fast forward that when now you can watch live games. You would have found me in Stokes Valley at 3 in the morning, then coming back at 5.30, having a shower and going to work Every single week. Why? Because I'm in love. I was found with what I loved. You see, where my treasure was, my heart was there. The two were together. Because what I loved, I treasured. So where my treasure was, Liverpool, that's where I was. And if you'd videotaped it, you would have said, this guy supports his team. He is committed, devoted, surrendered. He prioritizes. He gets up early. He sings. He jumps around. He's crazy. He invests. He wears the shirts. He buys the scarves. He is wholeheartedly committed to what he loves. And he's seeking more because he then is on the line. He wants to know who Liverpool is buying and what's happening. He's not just satisfied with what's happening in the season. Are we looking at other players? Are we going after other players? And then you engage with other fans and then you're talking in this whole thing and you are found in multiple environments of what you love. Now, what does it look like with Jesus? Jesus. 
the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who has saved, redeemed, is coming back, wants to marry you. He saved my butt from a place called hell that I was destined to go there, but he saved it for glory. It wasn't just to get me out of darkness. It was to establish me an eternal life now on earth that I would glorify his name and live for him 100% abandoned wholeheartedly devoted to the one I love. It's called being a disciple. And so God wrote what he spoke and said, now I look to see who's interested in not a book, my son. And everything that's contained in my son that has been written. For God spoke and someone wrote. Correct? Then Jesus turned up and he spoke what was written. It is written. Then the Holy Spirit turned up and he spoke and revealed what was written. So it's the spoken, written, spoken, written, spoken, written, spoken, written, spoken, written. Because then he puts his spirit in us and he says, son, speak what is written. And you become one with the eternal. It's called the church. Built by the eternal. So you are getting ready. You're faithful and you're found worthy of the calling that you are called for. When he came and said, you're mine, and I'm rescuing you out of the kingdom of darkness, Colossians 1.13, and I'm bringing you into the kingdom of light. Now I want you to be sons of light. You just don't automatically go, oh, I'm now the light of the world because I've got a deposit in me. You've got to become the light of the world. So yes, you have the light of the world in you, and you have the potential to be the fullness of that light, but you also have the fullness of that to have how great is the darkness that's in you that's light. And if you don't abide in fellowship, then you can't abide with one another because you're abiding in the darkness, which is flesh. It's all there. All I'm doing is quoting this. 1 John 1, 1 to 7. Go and have a look. But it's an opportunity that we get. So he says there's a city that's already established and it's coming. But if we don't see it, then we don't know it, which means we ain't living for it. You're living for what you look at. That's why knowledge is the key, guys. It's not intellectual information. I'm talking about the knowing of Jesus Christ through revelation. Everything we need is contained and concealed in the great mystery, Colossians 2, 2-4, which is a person. That's why life is not found in the scriptures. Why are you searching the scriptures when the person stands right in front of you who the scriptures are pointing you to? The scriptures are a means to the person. They are not the person. They testify of the reality that the person has done in the people that are writing. But you can't get their testimony And so you don't try to intellectually understand their writings. You have to seek Christ and get the reality of Christ. So then you share 
fellowship with them, and your testimony is their testimony, their testimony is your testimony. Because all Paul is doing is testifying, not teaching. He's testifying of the light. John said, I come to testify of the light. I don't come to teach about it. I can't teach. I testify. Hear what I'm saying? I testify of the work that's been done in me, and I speak it into the earth, which no one can take from me because no one gave it to me. But if I talk about a guy on a cross that I don't really know, someone can argue me out of that thing because they've got a better argument and they're more persuasive and I don't really know it because I was taught this thing. But when you receive Christ Jesus, the living gospel in you, you have a testimony of Christ that no one can move, no one can shake, no persuasive argument talks you out. You may not be able to refute, you just go, I don't know, but I know. And my life will demonstrate what I know. That's how powerful, guys, he is. Like, this is a living hope. It's not human optimism. It's a living, breathing hope that comes through the resurrection. And I have fellowship with the resurrection. I have union with the man who got on the cross. I don't just observe the cross and say yes to the cross. I got on that cross. So I have union with his death. Do you? I got nailed to the cross in 1997 when the power of God came in and crucified my flesh. See, I had union, fellowship with the cross. Like in his death, I have likeness in his resurrection because then the power came in and rose me out of the death back to life. I wasn't observing it. I didn't just say one day, oh, look at that. He's on the cross dying. And there he is in the grave. No, I was on the cross in the grave with the Christ. Can you hear what I'm saying? I have a union, I have a oneness, I have a fellowship, I partook of a person that day and I've continued to partake so I want to be found ready, faithful and worthy. It's not just a mental belief in what he did, as good as that is, it's actually a fellowship with what happened with the work that day. And so you know I have been crucified with Christ, I no longer live the life I live, I live by faith in the one who gave his life for me, it is no longer I who live, because life control, love controls me. These are the words of Paul because Paul got crucified with Christ. He had fellowship with the, the crucifixion and the resurrection. He didn't just step back and go, yeah, wow, that was awesome what you did for me, but I'm still void of it. It's still right. It's not wrong. You acknowledge that mentally, go, yeah, I believe that, but that is not living conviction. I'm not partnering and partaking of it. Doesn't Philippians 1, 5 and 6 say, in view of your participation in the gospel? What is that? Yeah, death and resurrection. Where? In you, because Jesus was alive spiritually and dead physically, correct? You and I were what? Dead spiritually, alive physically. So that power comes in and resurrects you from being dead to alive. It's not just, yeah, I mentally agree with that. And I genuinely believe that in my mind. I, yeah, I absolutely agree. Hear me, it's still right. But it's not what I described. And that is the fullness of the true gospel. It takes dead people and makes them live. It doesn't take dead people and go, just modify you. It takes dead people. Jesus died. Power. Boom. Live. He came out the grave. 
Would have been freaky, eh? We just sang it, didn't we? You come out your grave, or are you still in your grave trying to modify your grave, paint it? <laughs> Look at my cool grave. And so you start seeing in the eternal, you start seeing the city because you're seeking it. Because he says it, you seek it. Really? Yes. Love another being like God? Yes. Well, I can't. Cold, do you want it? Yes. Then seek. What did... Um, oh, help me. No, just on stage before, one of the leaders. Oh, getting old, eh? Jamie, thank you. Jamie had a prayer for one of those young children. From Isaiah. What was it? See that? Those that wait on the Lord renew their strength. If you're waiting, you're waiting for something, correct? I mean, you go to the doctor, you're waiting to see the doctor. You don't go to the doctor and just wait there for nothing. What are you doing here? I don't know. Just sort of come and wait. Hang out. You're waiting for something. Those who wait on the Lord, renew. Well, you can't renew your own strength. You wait and you're given strength. And all of a sudden now you're running and you don't grow weary? Like that's not earthly, is it? No, because we're not talking physical waiting. We're not talking physical strength. We're talking spiritual waiting and spiritual strength through waiting, being active, going, I'm here waiting to see the king. Like I'm waiting to see Christ. I want an invitation. I've been given an invitation. And I'm waiting here ready for this to actually enter into me more so I can actually change and live. Because I don't want to be this because I'm reading about a reality that's for me as a son. Hebrews 11, 8 to 16. Haven't even got to the main thing, but I have. And I do want to have discussion. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise. How many aliens do we have here this morning? Just me, Warren. Thanks, mate. Me and my shirts. Amen. As in a foreign land. Because Abraham knows he's not of earth, he's of the eternal, but he's on earth. And so he recognizes he's an alien as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents. Why tents? Because it's not temporary and you pick them up and you move and you go because we're not here for a long time. We're only here for a serving time. And Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. Oh, here's oneness. All living for the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Now, listen this. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. She considered him faithful because she became faithful because he was faithful. She's 90. Pretty good going. And she has this child. Why? Because God said. Like, do you live by what you think and say, or do you live by what he says? Well, you need to know what he says. 
Don't you? Like, it's not like, and it can be this, Lord, speak to me, because well, I've spoken. Pick it up. Start asking the Holy Spirit to reveal it. What? The book? Do you know, know the whole reality of what's in here? Color in with me, son. I want to show you stuff. Draw stuff. It's food. No, no, it's just a book. No, it's me. It's my purpose. It's who you are in me. It's my plan and my purpose. It's everything that I've got for my people. I thought it was just a book. Oh, no. But it's not. So don't search the scriptures. Search me. I'm here. I want to do, I want to build my church like I'm building this city. I want to build it on earth. I'm the builder of the house, not you, Greg. Figured that one out 11 years ago through pain. Therefore, there was born even one man, and him as good as dead at that. Go, Abraham. As many descendants as the stars of heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand is by the seashore. All these died in something. Not blind faith. Faith. In knowledge. All these men died in knowledge. Of what? The unseen. Because didn't they see a city? But didn't receive it literally in their natural, but received it through the power of the Holy Spirit? So they all died knowing the future, which was really there now because they lived in accordance to the future now. Correct? Where are we seated spiritually? So if we're seated in heaven, in heavenly realms, then what's the view like? Could you describe it? <laughs> you went walking up a mountain, you could tell me what it looked like. How many go up Mount Kaukau? What does it look like if you look down from Mount Kaukau? Well, it's the same spiritually. See the tension? It's easy to say stuff. It's another thing to actually be in it, isn't it? See, it's one thing to enter. It's another thing to inherit. Very different things, but inheriting comes from entering. So we enter, but do you inherit? Have you laid hold of all that Christ has laid hold of you for? I'm hungry for this stuff because I lay hold of it and laying hold of it. And it's just more and more and more and more and more. It's like, how much do you want to know? All. Okay. Like, it's not hide and seek in the sense of it's open, but it's all of the Spirit. And it's all in an unseen, eternal realm that these people saw and created oneness. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and aliens on earth. See how all this goes together? When you start seeing the eternal realm, you go, I'm no longer a citizen of heaven. It's all one thing. You see in the eternal, you no longer are a citizen of earth. You're a citizen of heaven because you're looking from the eternal. 
There's no and and a but. It's you get this, you become this. You receive that, you become that. If you don't receive that, you don't know that, so you live as you've always lived. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. If you're going to say it, you better live it. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. This is incredible. And we are to know it. Not intellectually, revelationally. Experiential knowledge within us. So we're not found unworthy. We're found worthy. We're found faithful. And we're found ready. He's coming back for a people that are mature. It's not when we get there, guys. It's now. It's now. I'm going to stop there. And uh, there's questions on your table. And I want us to unpack this together. Um, And the three questions all relate to the three parables. And so maybe just grab the question, have a look, throw it out there, and be bold and courageous and rip it apart together.